Hello, everyone, and welcome to Thriving Through Adaptive Leadership, a podcast created to help you address complex challenges in your community or organization by growing and thriving as an adaptive leader. My name is Brandy Walker, and I'm faculty at the J.W. Fanning Institute for Leadership Development, a unit of public service and outreach at the University of Georgia. I'll be your host as we explore various aspects of adaptive leadership through our podcast. For this episode, entitled Building Teams in Times of Trial, we'll explore how to lean on the right team at the right time. Our conversation today is with Ann Lindsay, who is faculty with Marine Extension and Georgia Sea Grant, which is also a unit of public service and outreach at the University of Georgia. Ann holds the role of Associate Director for Marine Education at the Marine Education Center and Aquarium in Savannah, Georgia. Welcome, Ann, and thank you for joining the podcast today. Hi, Brandy. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. So, Anne, tell our listeners a little bit about the Educational Center and your role in it. Well, uh, I am one of uh, PSO faculty with Marine Extension and Georgia Sea Grant, and my job is to teach marine science and coastal ecology to really anyone who'd like to learn. We work primarily with student groups and the general public. Um, so my job is as an educator, but I also oversee the, the programs and the facilities and the personnel here at the Marine Education Center and Aquarium. Thank you, Anne. I imagine you had a lot of challenges to face during our pandemic times. Tell us a little about those challenges that you and your team faced. Well, it was an interesting couple of years. I guess we're still in it as well. Um, we, we teach in the field and in the lab and on boats and on the water regularly. And when the pandemic hit and we needed to you know, be in our offices and communicate through Zoom, um, we realized that having school groups and public visitors uh, was a long way off. So we needed to be able to shift our focus from those in-person programs to something that could serve um, our uh, stakeholders and our partners out in the state. And that was through virtual programming. So the, the challenge was to take maybe the most popular of our field and lab and boat-based programs and turn them into a suite of of much shorter virtual programs that still allowed for some interactivity, but were, you know, delivered through Zoom. Tell us a little about how your education team usually works with communities in regular years. Sure. Well, we provide um, in, on-site, in-person programs um, here at our Skidaway Island site near Savannah, Georgia. Um, so we're taking students of all ages into the field, into the salt marsh, uh, we have a fleet of vessels where we can take kids out onto the water and to uh, remote barrier island sites. We have full service labs here. So what we're doing is hands-on feed-in science, real time, real person. And when that hands-on science was no longer possible, tell us about your plan to pivot. Well, we gathered, we gathered the troops and we sat down and took a look at the 30 odd different programs that we do teach in person and selected 15 of them, which uh, we felt might translate easily to a virtual format. So those included things like invertebrate labs, plankton labs, salt marsh explorations. We even trans, um, translated a trawling uh, activity on the water to a virtual format. Wow. 
So when you think about your teams and how your teams worked in the face-to-face settings, what sort of pivots and shifts needed to happen in these new times of going virtual? Well, I tell you, we really depended on a a number of different levels of experience on our team. We have... um, we have three senior educators who've been here for quite a while. I'm, I'm one of them. And we all got together and just sort of thought about how to translate um, those programs in a very broad way. And we, um, senior educators, came up with a template that we then shared with um, another group of educators who've been with us for a few years um, and and then finally, we brought in our um, marine education fellows. So it was a really um, cool way to engage everybody on the education team, but not have everybody in the room at the very beginning. Okay, so tell us, you have your senior educators and then your more incoming and intermediate educators. Tell us a little more about who those fellows are. Our marine education fellows are recent college graduates, and they've come to us um, typically with a background in biology or environmental education, and they spend a year with us learning about the field of marine education, Um, and during that year, they learned a lot about or brought a lot of knowledge, actually, to the team um, in designing and delivering virtual programs. So what I'm hearing is there was a dynamic that shifted from the experts having all of the answers to bringing in some folks that might have a new perspective to solve a problem, a problem that no one really expected to face. So can you tell us a little more about that? Yeah, absolutely. I think the team, the, the, literally the older educators, the senior educators provided the framework And then um, our younger full-time educators and the Marine Education Fellows just ran with it. It was just amazing. Um, They brought in expertise and and a level of, you know, um, comfort with new technology and, frankly, with teaching older people like myself the new technology. So those... um, Educators that had just been with us for maybe four or five years really took the reins. And then when it came to delivering those programs and actually using all the the new equipment and and thinking about ways to engage students uh, during the online format, um, the Marine Education Fellows really started to shine as well because they had been doing that in college. That's such a wonderful example. When we talk about adaptive leadership, we talk about facing problems that don't have answers, so the experts aren't the one that necessarily have all of the responses necessary to move through an adaptive challenge. It really takes a strong leader to recognize when additional perspectives are needed to come in and make things better, and that sounds like what you did. Well, thanks. I mean, strength, I'm not sure, but uh, there was a lot of gratitude on my part (laughs) that, that all members of the team were up for the task and and were really um, positive and creative and fearless about it. I love that, creative and fearless. Because one of the things we talk about when we face conflict is that bad conflict decreases productivity and inhibits creativity. But a conflict where you open up a space for new things to happen will increase the opportunity for people to be creative in situations that they haven't been in before. So what a wonderful experience for those fellows to have to take into their real world careers. Agreed. It was a real, a real bright spot for all of us that year. I mean, you know, we still talk about it. I mean, it was just a, a really sort of meeting an interesting and 
enjoyable meeting of the mind and and almost like going out to the playground together with all this new equipment and a goal in mind and just figuring it out. It was great. What a great education. And I think that's a wonderful case study that you can use with students that may be coming to your center on how to solve real world problems. Yeah, absolutely agreed. And I love what you're saying about how the experts need to recognize when they don't have all the answers and then build teams to allow for that other expertise to come in. So leaning on the right team at the right time is critical. Do you have any advice for people who are struggling to figure out how to get that right team together as we move forward at whatever stage we're in? (laughs) Well, I I tell you what I, what I like to do generally is when, if there's a big task ahead of us or there's a goal or some sort of project that needs to involve a lot of people, I actually rely on sort of pre-meetings. And so I might have a meeting with one or two people to just sort of take the temperature of the room and get get a feel for where they are with the particular challenge or um, the task ahead. Uh, I might have several of those meetings and and then at some point later in the process, bring everybody into the room that needs to be there. But I feel sometimes that when you bring the whole team in, and in our case, it would be 10 people, um, not everybody is, is, it's not that they're not engaged, it's just that some people are more verbal than others, and some people are, um, are thinkers, and some people need to sit back and listen, and then they reflect and, and provide input. So I find that having those little pre-meetings with just a few people um, works for us. I like that. That's really enacting that principle of creating a safe space and creating an atmosphere for people to freely share their thoughts and ideas without that concern for hierarchy or communication style challenges. So that's really enacting another one of our adaptive leadership principles, which is an adaptive leader creates those safe spaces for contributors, stakeholders, team members, for everyone to feel safe enough to have those new ideas, because new ideas can be scary. I love how you said fearless, and using that word fearless suggests, well, there might be something actually to fear. Yeah, and I agree. And I think also that sometimes people need a little push to figure out how they might be able to contribute to that work that needs to be done in the, in advance. So again, during those mini meetings, one of the things I might broach with uh, those folks are, well, how do you see your, what do you see as your role in, in what it is that we need to do over the next six months? And that gives them the space to to answer the question if they know it then, but then also to just sort of ponder it um, between that time and the time we get together with the whole team. So nobody feels like they're put on the spot. What's next for your team? What do you think you'll be carrying forward from what you've learned from this experience? Well, that's a great question. And I think in the beginning of the process, we would have we would have um, assumed that we would just be carrying on with virtual programs until the time that we could do more in-person programs. And, and then at that time, we would do some of both. But the reality is that um, having groups come back to our campus, to our facility has, has taken longer than we anticipated. And um, I think we thought that those virtual programs would fill the void for all the groups that we work with. But what we found in reality is that there are a few groups that are interested in virtual programs, 
and and the majority of the groups are really okay to just sit back and wait until they can get to us in person. So I think we anticipated being immersed in the world of virtual teaching right now as you and I speak, but that hasn't been the case. So now what do we do with this six month body of work that the whole team invested in? How do we, how do we continue to use that? And um, I think what we've, what we agreed about, I guess, even in the beginning of the process was that virtual programs are another way for us to reach our audiences. And they're another way for us to engage student groups, groups across the state who might not necessarily have the time um, or the resources to, to get on a bus or get in their private vehicles and drive here to the coast. So um, a lot of it remains to be seen <laughs> in terms of what's next. It sounds like you do have the opportunity to expand your idea maybe of who your audience might be. Yeah, absolutely. And to engage audiences that we typically wouldn't be able to. Um, so maybe there's a school in, in rural Georgia that is part of a very small school system and has limited uh, field trip uh, capabilities or even budgets. So we could engage them um, through the virtual platform. We also know that these virtual programs can be teaser programs, essentially. They can be introductory programs for groups that are have a limited amount of time to come to the coast. And so um, if we use some of these virtual programs as introductory programs and introductory discussions, then by the time they get they land here on Skidaway, uh, we can go out into the field and get muddy and salty and do science. Thank you, Anne, so much for sharing your experience on building the right teams in times of trial and really leaning on that concept that we need to open up to new ideas and new perspectives when the old ones just aren't working anymore. It's wonderful to hear your thoughts on how important it is to be grateful to others for their ideas and how to continually encourage a learning environment, not just for the students you serve, but also for you and your team as well. We'll continue to emphasize how adaptive leaders work through challenging times in our podcast, and we'd love to hear your thoughts on what you'd like to hear next. Email me at bbwalker at uga.edu. That's B as in boy, B as in boy, W-A-L-K-E-R at uga.edu. And give me your thoughts. On behalf of the J.W. Fanning Institute for Leadership Development, thank you for listening to our Thriving Through Adaptive Leadership podcast. We hope this podcast will help you build your capacity to address complex challenges in your community or organization by growing and thriving as an adaptive leader.